hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. What's going on, everybody out there? Episode 90. Isn't that wild? Episode number 90 of Bar Down Breakdown. And we have got a hell of a guest. Like, one of the coolest conversations I think we've had in a long time. And that's not to say that all of our conversations aren't cool, because they all are. But this one just is super special. We've got Mr. Mouthpiece himself, the voice of the New York Islanders, Brendan Burke with us today and we have a great interview and we get to hear a lot of cool things about the ins and outs of what he does um but hey listen we're here with you and we want to talk a little bit about all of these jerseys that are coming around all of these uh alternatives as they say and some of them are starting to come out and and leak and we'd love to hear what you guys think about it but uh maybe listen to what we have to say about it first so uh mike <laughs> What's your take on him, man? What do you think? Dude, it, it's like dividing the Islanders fan base, as it always does, like whenever we talk Jersey talk. Yep. But it's just so funny to hear people saying like, this is just a cash grab from the NHL trying to make money. And it's like, and? And and what? Like, <laughs> What's your point? Yeah, right. You know, the NHL has done right by the fans the past, you know, you know, a couple of months during this pandemic. And can you really be mad at them for trying to make back some of the money that they've lost? Like, there's no doubt that they've lost millions and millions of dollars by not finishing the season, not having fans in the buildings during playoffs. Oh, yeah. Like, how can you fault them for trying to make money? And yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a genius idea. Like, it's a win-win situation, especially since there are a lot of like retro jerseys that are fan favorites and a lot of teams are running with it and having a lot of fun. And then there's teams like the New York Islanders <laughs> that are so freaking boring. Like why, yeah. why does like, why does Lula Morello have to be the most boring GM in hockey? Like I get it. You're old school. Like you have your ways. Like everyone needs to shave. Everyone needs to wear low numbers. Like all that like tedious nonsense stuff that I don't really think carries as much weight in the current state of NHL. Mm-hmm. And then he's yeah. the one that makes like the decision about this jersey, and it's so boring. And the the fans that. Always hoot and holler and say, you know, we don't like the fishermen because the product on the ice was garbage. Well, the reverse retro jersey that they have leaked is basically our current jersey, but with the navy blue instead of the royal blue. Yeah. And that's the jersey that the Islanders wore from like, I guess, 97, 98 
Uh, may, maybe even late, maybe a little later, maybe like 99. Yeah. So like 99 to 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were a few good years mixed in there. There was also oh, some oh. really bad years mixed yeah. into that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I don't get their argument then. Like, why are they not saying like, this is a, you know, an abomination, abomination. Like how can the Islanders bring this Jersey back? The team was garbage, but no one's coming out and saying that. And it just is comical and it's boring. And at the end of the day, I just really want the fans to like boycott it and be like, you know what? You guys didn't put anything out. That was cool. We're not going to buy it. I mean, that that's the really, that's the true only way that, you know, the, the, that it's really going to make an impact. If, you know, the fans decide that they're not going to, buy into this cash grab and they're just not going to buy it. And maybe from there, the Islanders will realize that they need to take some more risks. And, and it was do a things missed are... opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, even if they did go with a, with a fisherman Jersey, which I think would have been fantastic, even if it reminds some Islander fans of, of a more tumultuous time, and that tumultuous time is part of the lineage of the New York Islanders. You know, it's you, you can look at the what the what the Hurricanes leaked. I mean, they they leaked the Whalers jersey, right? I mean, like if you look at the Hartford Whalers in as their their entire lineage, I mean, like it was kind of a team that fell flat on their face. I mean, they were in an area that had very little traction, and you know their games barely sold a lot. You know, so by using that logic it just kind of doesn't make sense that you know that's what a lot of islander fans are chiding about and it's a bummer uh but from I d- that I, I just don't like when fans tell me how i'm supposed to feel about that jersey yeah like i wasn't alive during the dynasty years so course, like yeah. the jersey that i remember and like my first kind of you know as a 10 year old Yep. like nine, 10 year old, like the first yep. like Jersey that stands out to me in the back of my mind is that fisherman Jersey. Yeah, of course. Cause and it's like, it's the nostalgia is there for you. Maybe and, I wasn't in the Coliseum every single game, like mm-hmm. when it was completely empty and like Ranger fans were mocking us. Yeah. But like, why, why can I not just be like, you know what? That's a cool design. It's something mm-hmm. different. I like it. Like, why does it have to be so serious? Like, why can't it be something fun? And like, that's what a lot of teams are doing. They're like, you know what? Let's just have some fun. Like, that's what people need in 2020. Let's just have a little fun. And I I think, think what's wrong with that? I think sports fans sometimes get so serious about the fandom they have for the teams that they love that they forget that for fans, when it boils down, it's something we enjoy. It's something we love. And a lot of us have a lot of passion about it, but that doesn't mean that that passion should bleed into being disappointed with everything and being upset with everything. You know, I I can use myself as an example. You know, I was so upset and downtrodden for a couple of days after the Islanders lost the conference finals, but you know, like after having a chat with you and talking to some of my friends, you you realize that, A, if you look at the positivity instead of the negativity, it'll make you more hopeful. But then you also got to remember that, you know, the Islanders losing 
isn't going to affect, you know, the, the paycheck I get, and it's not going to affect the relationships and the people I love. And I think a lot of sports fans have to remember that, that you can be passionate and we love passion. Uh, hockey is all about passion, but when it comes to scrutinizing every move your franchise makes, you know, from the you know choice of color that they use to the logo that they use to the little ancillary small things, how much fun does that make it at the end of the day? Are, are you really having fun? Are you really enjoying following the team? Or do you just get a rise out of the scrutiny? And, you know, if you do, is this really the thing for you or should you just be an accountant and like just <laughs> crunch numbers all day, man? I don't know. That's, but that's what I think. I think that Islanders fans have a lot of it. You know, there are a lot of Islander fans who, you know, love this, the team and the sport. And there are a lot of hockey fans that are the same way, you know, not just Islander fans that love the sport and have great passion for it. But when you start getting really deep into the scrutiny of everything, I think it takes away uh, from, from what we love. Um, and I think you could agree with that, but I think you could also agree uh, with the fact that one of the things that makes you love, uh, you know, hockey or baseball or anything is how it's presented to you. And that's as good a segue as ever to talk about our guest, Brendan Burke, who presents the Islanders games to listeners in such a unique and fun way that you can't really not love uh, the enthusiasm that comes out of his mouth when he is uh, calling these games. And I, I, I know I could speak for myself, but it was a total treat to have Brendan take some time out of his day to talk to us and give us some insight about how he was able to work his way all the way up the, the ladder and get to a spot where he was able to, uh, you know, start calling games for the Islanders and, just hearing his story and everything is so cool. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. I'm going to lead you right into it. An awesome interview with Brendan Burke, uh, you know, the mouthpiece of the New York Islanders. And uh, I really hope you enjoy what we do in this episode. And we'll see you on the other side. Don't drown the sound, I'll drown you out You'll never scream so loud As I wanna scream with you
We are back. Far down breakdown. And uh, we have got uh, a hell of a get, as they say, as the young kids say. We've got the voice of the New York Islanders, Brendan Burke, here with us. What's going on, man? Thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your, uh, what I'm sure is a busy schedule, to, to hang with us a bit. Uh, how's life treating you? What's going on? Well, unfortunately, I have to correct you. This is the least busy my schedule's ever been in my entire <laughs> life. So, um, you know, professionally, there's not a whole lot going on. Personally, uh, I've got a lot of family time, and I've got a wife who's nine months pregnant. So we've got a lot going on over here. Oh, congratulations, man. And I mean, listen, I'm sure your... <laughs> Your most lackadaisical and easy schedule is probably the busiest schedule that I could ever have in my life. So, <laughs> but hey, man, uh, again, I'm, I'm glad that you're getting some family time. Um, you know, obviously, the, you know, the off season is uh, is good to uh, to catch up on that kind of stuff. So uh, let's just uh, just dive into it real quick. So uh, I just kind of want to hear a little bit about some of the beginnings. So, uh, you know, at what point did you realize that you wanted to get into, you know, like sports journalism and broadcasting and what, uh, what kind of piqued your interest in that? And, uh, how'd you kind of get off running with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, the easy answer is my dad had a lot to do with it. My, my father is a, a sports writer, um, writes for the New York post, uh, but was the Yankee beat writer when I was a kid. Um, so I was exposed to the media side of sports at a young age and, um, I guess when I was about nine years old, um, it wound up being that I really became interested in broadcasting because of my dad. I was able to um, actually sit between John Sterling and Michael Kay, who were the Yankees radio broadcasters at the time. Sterling still is, and Michael Kay's over on TV. But uh, I got to sit between those guys and watch them work when I was nine years old. And, and uh, ever since he told me after the game that they got paid to do that, it's all I've ever wanted to do. So. Um, that, that's kind of the, the short story of, of the beginning of it. And, um, I've had many people, including my own mother, tell me, um, as a kid, when I told them I wanted to be a broadcaster that, you know, you're still young, take your time, things will change. And, um, the only thing that changed was that I wanted to do it more. And so, um, went to college with that in mind and that was my mindset going in and I tried to get everything I could out of college and start my, my professional career as soon as I could. So it was, uh, it was a long road to get there and, and a longer road to get here where I am now, but um, it started at a very young age. So you, you mentioned college, and I know exactly where you went to college. You went to Ithaca, and myself, I went to SUNY Cortland. So, oh, boy. <laughs> so I do want to talk about that a little bit just because, you know, that's the heated Cortica Jug rivalry you know, the, the biggest little game in the nation. And I'm assuming that at Ithaca, you were part of the broadcast team there. Yeah, I called the, uh, I guess it would have been the 2004 Cortica jug, um, for the radio broadcast. So, um, yeah, for the 2004 season, I was the voice on radio for Ithaca college bombers football, um, and, and hosted a, their weekly television show, the gridiron report with head coach, Mike Welch. And, uh, it was it was good times. It was it was probably the first real it was probably as close to getting a real broadcasting job as I could have gotten in college at that point, being, you know, the voice of the football team and doing every game every week and preparing and going through that. So, yeah, I was uh, I, I, I believe Cortland won the game and it was in Cortland. So it was not a great uh, day for me, but it was a lot of fun to be a part of. Was that your senior year? Oh, four. It was actually my uh, it was my junior year. Um, and. Uh, I, I wound up studying 
with there's a I think a college has a study abroad program, if you will, for its communication school where all the film students get to go out and intern in L.A. at film studios and all the journalism kids just go for a vacation. So um, I spent my senior uh, fall semester in L.A. just kind of living the life and uh, taking a few classes here and there and interning at uh, different places out west. So um, the only jug that I got to call was my junior year. Man, so we never actually crossed paths because I went to SUNY Cortland starting in 2005 and then graduated 2009. So like we we the the one so, year where we could have crossed paths, you were out <laughs> in LA. So Yeah. I actually my first Cortica was on Ithaca campus and actually that was the only one I've actually attended in person. Like, you know, as it goes, it's more of a party day than it is to watch the game actually. So the only Cortica game I went to is my freshman year at Ithaca, <laughs> which is so bizarre. Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, is I, the only game I went to was the game that I called as well. Obviously, senior <laughs> year, I was in L.A., but but freshman and sophomore year, I was I was the dork that stayed behind volunteering to do halftime shows at the radio station. So um, I, I never I never went either. Oh, boy. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, what's really cool is, you know. I do these things, you know, called Isles meetups in Charlotte and kind of a little bit of my inspiration for that was when the first year I moved to court uh, to Charlotte, we went to like a Cortica jug viewing party and I couldn't believe how many people were there in Charlotte, North Carolina to watch Ithaca versus Cortland. And it was just like so eye opening how many New Yorkers we're down here. And that was like yeah. kind of what sparked me like, Hey, I could probably do this with the Islanders. And it, it took off from there. No, that that's great. I mean, I think there's uh, you know, I'm, I'm amazed too. you know, there's, there's big ones in New York city, but you know, really all over the country, there's little pockets of, uh, you know, Ithaca college people and, you know, working in, in sports media, you know, especially Ithaca that, you know, we, we pop up all over the place. And so there's, there's currently three of us Ithaca college graduates, uh, as NHL play-by-play broadcasters right now. So it's always cool to cross paths with those guys and some writers, Kevin Kerr's out in San Jose for the athletic as an college guy. So um, always fun to bump into to guys that went to the school, even if we never did not go at the same time. Now, the question is, have you looked at like the Ithaca college, like tuition? I mean, not tuition, but like the admissions brochure. Are you like listed as a notable alumni now? <laughs> you know what? I should probably check that. Although, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm a big enough draw at this point, but you know, the, the great thing is, is that one of my really good friends from Ithaca college, um, was a year ahead of me and he and I did a lot of broadcast together. Um, we were the sports directors of the radio stations. Um, there's two of them on Ithaca college's campus. And so he was one and I was the other. Um, he did football in 03. I did football in 04. So we kind of followed each other's paths. Uh, his name is Ed Cohen and he's the radio voice of the New York Knicks now. So, um, you know, it's kind of cool that he and I spent three years together and now we've wound up in the same city in major league markets and, um, you know, really our coworkers cause that's part of MSG as well. So, um, you know, hopefully if, if I'm not on, he might be. And if we go on, we're probably going on together. Now, can you take a guess at who Cortland's notable alumni is? Um, I don't, are there notable gym teachers around? <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't really follow that market. Oh, that was a I good burn. That was that, a good right? burn. <laughs> I, I, I can I can confirm who Cortland's notable alumni and is. And it's the only one. It is, is the it you? only one. It's not no, me. No, <laughs> it is it is it is professional wrestler Mick Foley. Oh, I shouldn't have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That, that is That's me. it. So 
Brendan, after college, you go on to work, um, you know, doing broadcasting, and you become the Utica Comets play-by-play guy in the AHL. And I guess, tell us about that, because it's not as glamorous as I would imagine working with MSG and, and traveling with the NHL team, because you guys are riding the bus with the team sometimes, and, you know, got... 10, 12-hour drives between cities, uh, I'm sure it could get a little rough at times. Yeah, well, Utica was the end of that ride for me. So I spent 10 years in the minor leagues. It started in Wheeling, West Virginia in the ECHL. I was two years there. Um, I spent five years in Peoria, Illinois, in the American Hockey League with the Peoria Rivermen. I lost my job because they lost their team in Peoria. Um, A new team popped up in Utica, New York, and I was able to get my job back uh, in Utica and spent three years there before... um, you know, getting the opportunity of a lifetime of the Islanders. So, um, it was, it was a long road. It was, I don't know, close to a thousand games, probably in the minor leagues, maybe 800 games in the minor leagues. Um, it was, um, a lot of hours. And, you know, the one thing about being a broadcaster in the minor leagues, and this goes for all sports, pretty much all levels is that for the most part, being a broadcaster is the least important thing on your job description to the person that signs your paycheck. And (laughs) you are, you know, you are in charge of public relations and community relations and, you know, media relations and, you know, sales and a hundred other things. And then, oh yeah, at seven o'clock you get, you can go up and do that little radio thing. Um, It's just, (laughs) it's just not a big deal. It's a big deal for fans and it's a big deal for the broadcasters, but for the people that have a budget to keep, you know, you need to make your salary and sales sometimes to, to just stay afloat and keep your job. So, um, you know, it, it's a challenge and it's a grind because you spend all of your time doing something other than broadcasting. I used to say, you know, I would work nine to five in the office and then I would go home and work on my broadcast and work on my preparation and do all of the stuff that I wanted to do so that I can be prepared to broadcast. And so, um, 10 years of that was, was a lot. And so, um, and I know there are, are many broadcasters that have spent many more th- years than 10, uh, in the minor leagues to get to the NHL, to get to major league baseball, whatever it is. And I know that there are guys that have spent 15, 20, 30 years in the minor leagues and never get to that top level. So I'm, I'm not complaining, just explaining, um, that it, it's a grind and you have to love it. You have to have a passion for it and you have to be willing to, uh, to sacrifice a lot because you're exactly right about 10, 12 hour bus rides. I mean, I've ridden on a bus from, I mean, let's just say, so when I was in, I was in Utica, we would drive from Utica to Syracuse to get on a plane to fly from Syracuse to Chicago, Chicago to Vancouver, and then take a two hour bus from Vancouver to Abbotsford, British Columbia to play two games against the Abbotsford heat and then come all the way back. And that was one of the more fun trips because you at least got to fly. (laughs) <laughs> so it's it's not glamorous, but um, it is an ends to a mean in my situation, um, and I'm I'm thankful for having gone through it. I think I'm a better broadcaster for it. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I I mean I I think that's that, that's really cool, and obviously getting to you know cut your teeth and getting to go all around you know the quote unquote miners, and then you know you you end up getting your big break. But so I I kind of have a an interesting question um, just regarding the kind of the element of practicing your craft. So, you know, if we look at it in the same, let's say track as a, as a hockey player. So, you know, you kind of come up through the minors, you hone your craft, you get better, you 
you kind of realize what kind of player you're going to be, what your strengths and weaknesses are. So just in terms of, and this is just sim- simply a curiosity question, but just in terms of, of like language and phrasing and, and some of the really important things that you have to consider when you, you know, go behind the broadcast mic, how did you find that you developed that over time? Like, did you, was it a lot of trial and error? Did you, you know, would you say some things in the broadcast booth and then kind of realize that they weren't as impactful and you kind of changed some of the wording you used? I'm just kind of curious how that builds as you progress in your career. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, I, I, you could call it trial and error. It's doing a broadcast and listening back to it and trying to listen to it as if you were not you and listen to it as a listener and just say, you know, that didn't work or I know what I'm saying, but it didn't come across clearly um, to somebody who's not sitting next to you in the building and watching it because I did all 10 years that I did was radio. So mm-hmm. I, I was never on television in the minor league. So I was always doing radio and you go through that process a lot. And the evolution of it is at the beginning, you work on nuts and bolts. You make sure that you are, uh, on time. You make sure that you are accurate in terms of getting the names, right. The location, right. Um, the details, right. And then you get to a point where you're comfortable with those things and you can move on. And so, I mean, I got to a point in my career and I'm not saying that you're on autopilot, but you have to segment your brain when you're broadcasting uh, a a number of different ways, Um, especially on television when you've got a producer and you're talking to you and you're still having to call the game. But that's Mm -hmm. another story. But you've got to you've got to segment your brain between what you're watching, what you're saying. You have to be able to look at something that you're not talking about without losing your train of thought. So you get to a point where you can do the play-by-play and think about something else at the same time, which is a really weird concept, and I understand that. <laughs> but you can get to a point where, you know what? I've said that word too many times. Next time, I'm going to say something different. And you can actually think about those things during the broadcast. And so once you're at that point, once you're at that comfort level, you can start to evolve while you're on the air and make conscious decisions about changing things to the point where then those are subconscious and you're just a better broadcaster. So um, it, it's an evolution. It's a process. It's a lot of you know self-reflection. It's a lot of getting feedback from other people, asking people that do it what they like, what they don't like, um, and just kind of putting it all together. And of course, there's there's watching and listening to the guys that do it best in the NHL level and trying to steal some of that and put it into your own broadcast because um, you know you're not trying to copy. I always tell people, don't try and copy somebody, try and copy everybody. Take the best thing about every broadcaster and try and bring that into your broadcast because that just makes you a good broadcaster. Absolutely. And, you know, you got to think then, you know, you're growing up in the Jersey area that you are getting exposed to the best in the business, Doc Emmerich. And, you know, he just announced his retirement. So, you know, how was that for you to, to swallow, to know that you won't be hearing him call NHL games anymore? Yeah, it's, it's sad. I mean, for, for me, my whole life has been doc, whether it's been with the devils or on the NHL or, you know, the national level. And I mean, he's called the Stanley cup final, you know, for the last 20 years. And, you know, I'm not that old, so that's pretty much <laughs> most of, most of my life and most of my conscious life in terms of following broadcasts and hockey. And so, um, you know, to me, he is hockey to me, you know, his voice was the voice that you knew it was a big game. And, uh, you know, he is unique. There is no other doc and doc is he's Vin Scully. No one else can do what they do. 
and don't try because it doesn't work. Um, you know, they are special, they're unicorns. And so, um, to not have doc, I think obviously the game is worse off. Um, but what a career he had and he deserves, uh, to call his own shot. And if he says he's done, you know, good for him. Congratulations on a wonderful career. Um, you know, he and his wife and they've got a lot of animals out. He does a lot of out in Michigan. He does a lot of good things for animals. He's selling a, a book right now and all the proceeds are going to help animals. And so he's got his causes. He's a great human being. Uh, he's a better human and uh, better person than he is a broadcaster. And that's saying something. So, um, you know, he, he's an idol of mine. He's somebody who has probably influenced my style more than any other broadcaster. Um, and I, and I certainly wish him the best. And, uh, I, I wish he was going to be calling a game on opening night. I certainly will tell you that whenever that is. Yeah. Whenever that is, is, is right. Hopefully it's, you know, sooner rather than later, but you know, at least we have a, a, a date in the AHL that's given me a little optimism. So we'll see. But um, I guess <laughs> no one can can kind of question your street cred. You know, the 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 music that Tom and I talk about is alternative music. And it's always, you know, bands have to grind it out in a in a in a van and go on those long tours. And it's not really so glamorous. You, you got long drives. You're sleeping on a bench. And, you know, you kind of did the same grinding it out in the in the minor leagues. And then, you know, you get your call up to the big shot like you're now flying to, to city to city and, and getting to, to live your dream there. And that's kind of like, you know, when bands finally break out and like get to the status of, you know, say like the Fallout Boys and the Paramore, Paramores, you're kind of like, you know what, they paid their dues. They deserve this. And, you know, that that's kind of kind of what you're at at this point as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of similarities there, including the the lack of sleep and and, and <laughs> trying to sleep sitting up and all that, all that fun stuff. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, right? Like you're you're working on your, your craft, and I, and I think that you know there's there are bands that have really good early stuff that nobody heard or nobody listens to, and they get to a point where they make it big and people go back and listen. But I think for the most part, um, and this is accurate for me as well, is that sometimes you're just not good enough at that point. I mean, did I think I was 23 years old coming out of college and could go straight to the NHL? Absolutely. If I listened to myself back then now, would I think I was NHL caliber? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, it, it just, it, you need, you need that. You need that, that grind, that passion. You need to be able to push through that because I think it makes you better for me, a broadcaster for musicians, the same thing, you know, and then to be able to realize that dream after that climb, um, you know, there, there's no greater feeling. I mean, that phone call, I got on, you know, August 4th, 2016 was the, the best moment of my life. Um, and it was, it was not just, you know, I got a new job. It was the culmination of, you know, 20 years of, of wanting to be a broadcaster at the highest level and finally getting that opportunity. And, and for me, like I grew up in New Jersey, but I grew up in North Jersey, right outside New York city. Um, I, I consider myself having grown up in the New York market. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to watch Devils, Rangers, Islanders games, Yankees, Mets, you know, everybody on my TV when I was growing up. So I felt like I was coming home. Um, and I could have wound up anywhere in the country if, if it was the Dallas stars or if it was the Tampa Bay lightning, or if it was the San Jose sharks, I would have been just as thrilled, but to have it be the Islanders and to be able to come home for me, um, to wind up, you know, like you, you think about it, like I was willing to go anywhere and I wound up where I couldn't have even imagined, you know, the number one market in the country and the place where I call home. So 
um, it was, uh, it, it's been an incredible ride. And, and so it, I can't, um, you know, I can't, I couldn't have painted a better picture if, uh, if given the opportunity. Yeah. It's a storybook. <clears throat> it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just like, you couldn't have said it any better. It really is just the culmination of all the hard work, uh, you know, getting you to where you're not only in a sense coming home, but you know, you're, you're now where you always kind of dreamed you'd be and in a position now where, you know, your voice is now the voice that is being heard by people that are perspective that want to get into doing what you do now. And now they're listening to you and being like, well, how do I emulate that? How do I do this? How do I do that? So now you're in that position where you're the person who everyone's listening to. So like, I I don't know if you ever, if you ever kind of sit back and like kind of breathe that in, but you know, being such an important voice now, like what would you say to people that are looking to go in your direction? Um, Would you give any specific tips or tricks or maybe something you did, you would recommend people do differently based on the experiences you had, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. One is I I sit back and, and think about it all the time about how fortunate I am and how I am now the person that I used to be looking up to. And that's still a strange concept to me. And, and it really hit me. Um, the first Islanders game I did in Buffalo, I think it was December, my first year, it wasn't too long into my, my start with the Islanders. And, uh, <laughs> the previous March. So back up, you know, nine months, um, I had gone to Buffalo for a Sabres Rangers game. And I had gone into the press box and I talked to Sam Rosen and and Sam invited me to hang out and watch him work in the broadcast booth. And nine months later, I walked into that exact same booth to call a game. And that moment was, was pretty cool. Like I have a picture that I took of the back of Sam Rosen's head, watching him do a game on MSG. And then within a year, that was me. So it was a very quick transition. Like I was still that guy at 31 years old that was trying to learn as much as I could from guys like Sam Rosen. And then a few months later, you know, he and I are at the MSG hockey seminar as coworkers. It was a very strange feeling. And then to get to that game in Buffalo to just kind of tie it all together was a a really cool moment for me. So trust me, those things are not lost on me. Um, I'm not going to sit back and just say, yeah, I'm a big deal, right? I'm in the NHL. Like, no, I'm still the kid that thinks it's weird that Sam Rosen and I work together. Like that's still (laughs) weird to me. Um, as for everything else, uh, the one thing about broadcasting is that there are no books. There are no classes. There's nothing I can tell anyone that is going to make them a better broadcaster. The only way to become a better broadcaster is to be a broadcaster and do as much of it as humanly possible. It's a, it's a Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours of repetition type of process to become an expert at that position. So, um, kind of what I was talking about before and the the process that I went through where you're working on nuts and bolts, and then you can kind Mm -hmm. of refine it from there. The more you do it, the more comfortable you are. Um, you know, so when I went to college, I went to college and I went to the radio station meetings and I always sat in the meetings against a wall because I would literally put my arm up and leave it up the whole time and just volunteer for whatever they wanted me to do, because that's (laughs) what I was there to do. I was there to do as much as I could. 
You want me to do halftime at the field hockey game? I will do half. I don't know anything about field hockey, but I will do halftime at the field hockey game. I mean, I would, I would do anything. And so I DJed, I did overnight shifts playing music. Uh, I did a morning drive show from six to 10 AM on Thursdays, my junior year, just things to be comfortable behind the microphone, because I think that all adds up in the end to being a better broadcaster. So you, you mentioned your, your radio show. I didn't know about this, but now that I, you know, am putting the pieces together, it's starting to make sense to me. Um, growing up in Jersey, which has such a predominant music scene, you know, I would, I would say it might even rival the Long Island music scene, especially, you know, the time when you were in high school, like early 2000s, the alternative music, the pop punk music was very, very popular. Um, you know, did you bring some of that love for that kind of music onto that radio show? Oh, for sure. But uh, I would say that my my musical awakening came in college as a freshman. Um, I I was friends with the station manager for the radio station. Um, her name is Amanda, and she still works in radio, and she's still um, you know very much in the music scene. And she kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different things and, and opened my ears really to a lot of different bands. And so um, it was, uh, I, I was already kind of uh, at least favoring that type of music, but then being able to expand and, and like I said, you know, DJ on the radio stations and listen to new music on, you know, one of the top ranked college radio stations in the country. Um, it, it was, it was a really great experience. And then being up there and, and having all these, you know, um, shows around and live music around and we would bring in you know musicians that were kind of the, in that still in that same phase of riding around in vans trying to make it big um it, it was a really cool atmosphere and and certainly was uh, a big part in you know my love for music was was going to Ithaca and and learning about a lot of different music yeah I, I actually um my freshman year so you know we already went over this you were not there but my freshman year I took the 30-minute drive to Ithaca to see this band May and the audition on your campus, and there were so many kids there, and I was like, man, I picked the wrong college, because, like, Cortland's, like, kind of the jock school, not really into the alternative music scene, and then, like, going 30 minutes down the road to Ithaca and seeing so many kids, like, love the same band that I loved, I was like, man, this is where I should have been. Yeah. Listen, one of the best days uh, that I've had that I had at college was Ithaca and Cornell scheduled concerts on the same day. And they wound up having to move Ithaca's a little bit earlier in the day because it was the same people. And it was something corporate on Ithaca College's campus. And then Jimmy World opened for Incubus at Cornell. And it was like. And so I got to, I, I went to both shows. It was unbelievable. So, um, and, and I, there were other bands too that I, I'm forgetting cause I'm old, but you know, there, <laughs> it, it was, it was a good day. It was a really good day. That's unbelievable. So I guess that you, you, you dropped something corporate and when MSG was putting out like the playoff Spotify playlist, I did see that something corporate Constantine landed on your playlist. And I was like, Holy crap. Like, Brendan Burke knows who something corporate is. We need to get him on the show. <laughs> so can you elaborate on that? Are you a big Andrew McMahon fan? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm definitely more of a something corporate fan than I am, you know, Andrew McMahon in the wilderness or whatever variation of his band he's, he is right now. Um, 
I, I love the early something corporate. Um, but no, I, I, I'm a big fan. I, Jimmy Eat world is my number one. You probably saw that on the list a few times too. Um, but yeah, something corporate is, is definitely up there for me. Um, more so than Andrew Mann in the wilderness and the rest of them. Um, but you know, early something corporate is, is, uh, hard to beat. Oh, and no, I, I absolutely. Um, I just real, real quick, just interjecting, you know, you said you're a, a big Jimmy Eat world fan. I know you're, you know, obviously you don't have a tremendous amount of time, but um, uh, Jim Atkins uh, just started up through the pandemic, this uh, really cool uh, podcast, like kind of uh, like YouTube video cast called Passing Through Frequencies, uh, where he has these, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to, to listen, but he has these conversations with a lot of other musicians that kind of came up in the Jimmy Eat World era. So, you know, he's talked with... Um, uh, with, uh, Matt Pryor from the get up kids. He's talked to, uh, you know, Ryan from yellow card and like have these really intense conversations that kind of evolve into how they, how their creative process works, which I, I think is super cool. So if you get a chance uh, to check it out, it's called passing through frequencies, but as a big Jimmy Eat world fan, um, he's kind of talked about some of the process of writing some of like their most like in integral songs. Like he's talked about, how sweetness came together and he's talked about how some of the songs on clarity came together and it's just kind of this super cool perspective of seeing how some of the songs like you grew up loving like when i was in high school i'm pretty sure uh i was in like a like a band for like the talent show that played a, a praise chorus and it's just like you know getting that uh introspective side from from what they're doing is super cool so if you get a chance to check it out but um as far as, you know, like all that other kind of music that you're listening to. So, you know, you're something corporate, you're Jimmy at Worlds. Like what else would you say was in your ears when you were on those like really long bus rides and stuff and you're just trying to pass the time in between cities? Uh, did you have like some records that are kind of maybe a little off the beaten path that were go-tos that would kind of like just spark, you know, some kind of old head stuff from the 2000s? Yeah, I mean, you know, back, I, I guess, like, college was, you know, it was it was brand new. It was Taking Back Sunday. Like, it was a lot of the, you know, yellow card. Like, it was a lot of the, the I mean, punk and pop punk and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there there, there was a lot of that. But, I mean, um, you know, Anne Berlin, does that count as off the beaten path a little bit? Like, something oh, like that? Yeah, um, love Anne Berlin. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, like, there, there's, you know, dashboard coheed like all those guys like it was you know there's there there were a lot you know incubus was was i you know use i listen to incubus a lot sure um, then and I, I still do now um but yeah i mean there's there's uh there was a lot of music you know panic when they came you know sure. like it was just it was it was a lot of good stuff back then i i wish i was still in tune to the music scene as much as i was back then now but um i'm not and so i'm i'm that guy that just listens to that stuff over and over again Nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of what what you know we do, anyways. I mean, you spill, know, there's a lot. <laughs> spill spill can, spill canvas. Does that count off the beaten path? Like Dude, that's my jam right there. I'm a huge spill canvas friend uh, fan, and I've actually become friends with their drummer Bryce through this podcast. And I actually got to see the spill canvas recently and like hang out with them, and it was like still to this day just an unreal moment because man. All Hail the Heartbreaker, The Tide, like those are some of my favorite songs of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you on that. So yeah. I mean, Spill Canvas, Story of the Year, Straylight Run, like that kind of stuff. That's that's where I'm at. 
dude, I think we just became best friends, Brendan Burke. That is <laughs> that is our jam for sure. So um, I guess let's kind of bring this back into a little bit of the hockey talk just because, uh, you know, you get to work with a legend. You get to work with Butch Goring. Like, how much fun is that? Like, it's got to be just a blast every single day going to work. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that uh, I think people know this, but in case they didn't, like, Butchie's Butch. Like, he's the same on the air as he is off the air. Like, that's him. He, he doesn't filter anything. He doesn't put on an act. Like, that's that's Butch. So the fun that we have on the air is the same fun that we have off the air. We spend a lot, a lot of time together. I mean, I spend more time with Butch than I do with my family during the hockey season. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun. We enjoy each other's company. And I think, I mean, yeah, he, is he, he's literally twice my age, but we get along so well, um, you know, off the air that I think that comes across on the air because we really do have a good time. And, you know, he comes at the game from such a unique perspective, right? Like he played forever, four-time Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe Trophy winner, coach, general manager. He coached the Islanders. He coached and was a GM in the IHL. He coached in Europe. I mean, he's, he's a lifer in the game of hockey. He's been around it his whole life. And so he has this wealth of knowledge. And so uh, I consider my job to just try and pry some of that out of him and onto the air because he's the star of the show. And I want to make sure that as much of Butch comes out onto the broadcast as possible. So, um, you know, that's how I view our relationship when we're on the air um, is just trying to make sure that he has the platform. You know, no one cares what I think they want to hear from Butch and that's the way it should be. So, um, you know, we have a great time on the air and off the air and, uh, and he, he's a lot of fun to work with. And he's probably got stories for days, huh? Yeah. I mean, he's got, <laughs> lot, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy, Obviously, it's 2020, and he's well-versed at what's happening in the NHL now, but you're talking about a guy who used to ride the train to get to games. I mean, like, like in L.A., they would go on two-week road trips because they were the only team out west, and they would come back, and, you know, he's got the infamous stories of him, you know, just bringing a toothbrush and go being gone for two weeks, and, um, <laughs> you know, he denies that, but there's enough people that have said that that's a true story, so we'll see what <laughs> happens there. But, I mean, like, he's just, he's 50 years into the game, and, and he's been in tune with it the whole time. So having that wealth of knowledge is something that, I mean, I don't, I hope I have someday, but there's no way that I can even fake that at this point. So why not let him tell the stories? Yeah. And, and, you know, the fans just love all the butchyisms that you point out, like, you know, going to the dirty area and like all, all the, his like little catchphrases and, you know, it, it's just so much fun hearing you guys go back and forth and we, we, we love it as fans for sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Like I said, you know, we, we are, are genuinely having fun on the air. So we hope that comes across. So, you know, one question I'm just kind of dying to ask here is, uh, so you, you know, you kind of, so you end up with the Islanders and, and now you have so much invested in the team and the franchise and, you know, obviously they're, they're putting the pieces together and, and becoming a better team each year. Um, you know, being being the voice that so many people are going to hear, you know, fresh start of the season, you know, game one starts. Do you ever just think about like, man, like how the hell am I going to call like that cup win? Like, wh- like, how am I going to like calm my voice down when that happens? Like, how am I going to, you know, project how excited I am, but not like 
lose my mind. Um, does that like ever kind of run by you? Cause I mean, like I can't imagine, uh, the amount of just like intense emotions that come along with that. I mean, as a fan, obviously born in 87, I never got to experience it, but I can only imagine what I'd feel when it happens. But here you are with a microphone in front of you. So does that ever run through your mind? Like, what are you going to say? How, how emphatic are you going to make it? That kind of stuff. Uh, I, I mean, yes and no. I mean, nothing is, is planned out or scripted or course, anything yeah. along those lines. Um, you know, but managing emotions is a real thing. And, you know, what's, what's nice is I had a run with the Utica Comets back in 2015, um, not my last season, but the se- my second season in Utica where that team lost in, in five games in the Calder Cup final. Wow. So I had a run. And in Utica, it's the smallest arena in the AHL. It seats 3,400 people. And the building is virtually sold out of season ticket holders. Oh, and wow. it is full every single night. And, and it is loud. And there's no press box. I'm literally just sitting as, in the last row. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a table to operate on and there's a space that is quote unquote, the press box, but I'm not separated from the fans at all. So when you're in an environment like that, it's impossible not to feel it Mm -hmm. when a goal scored, like it's impossible to keep your heart rate down. But I had that experience and you go through it. And again, this is part of the, the trials of, of working through things in the minor leagues. You have a big goal, and then you listen to it. You go, nope, that was way too much, just <laughs> just too much. And so you get to a point where you're like, no, like you can't get there. And so, um, you know, I always leave something in the tank mm-hmm. because, and and not everybody does that. I, I there's another Islander broadcaster that usually doesn't leave anything in the tank, <laughs> and there's and there's nothing wrong with that. That's his style, and that's how he does it. And he's great at it. And people love it. My style is a little bit more reserved. And the reason I do that is, is in my mind, in my thoughts, a goal in October and a goal in June shouldn't sound the same. They don't mean the same. They shouldn't sound the same. Yes, a goal is a goal, but you, you have to have a little bit difference in them. So, you know, everything should have its own unique sound. And so for me, um, you know, I usually try and do that. And plus it, it stops you from getting caught, right? Like everybody seems to remember one specific call of mine and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but game one of the playoffs last year against Pittsburgh and Josh Bailey's overtime winner, uh, seems to be a pretty memorable call for people, which is, which is fantastic that people remember that. Yeah. But, um, if you remember it, Matt Barzell hit the post before Josh Bailey puts it in, right? If you're building, if you're building a call and they hit the post, that's pretty much the top of where you're going to get. But then Josh Bailey comes in and puts in the rebound. So if you listen to that call, like I had another gear and there was, and there was more if I needed it, but I I obviously didn't want to go there. But like, if you get caught where you're at an elevated level, and then something better or surprising happens and you don't have the ability to match that, you're not doing the moment justice. And so I always try and keep a little bit in reserve and try and keep my nerves about me 
And I'm not kidding. When I was in Utica, after a goal, I would crouch down like I was a catcher behind home plate, kind of underneath the desk, and take three big deep breaths before I came back on. So I would say scores. I would let the crowd go. And meanwhile, I'm just like deep breaths and then come back on because you also don't want to stay there. If you get to that moment of a huge goal, you can't stay there for very long. Otherwise, people are going to their ears are going to bleed. So, you know, there's more of a thought process, I think, than people realize um, when it comes to moments like that. But again, all of that now is not something that I consciously have to think about. It's just the way that I do the games. Excellent. Uh, I, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, this is just such a fascinating conversation. Like, I don't, I don't know when I'd ever get to ask these questions and have them like answered in such a succinct way. So, I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I, I really, really do appreciate it. This is, this is just super cool for me. Uh, I do. I got one more question for you. Um, you know, just uh, on the plane of ob- objectivity, of course. So, you know, you are, you know, you're calling Islanders games, and you know. The NHL and, and the league itself, I mean, they're just filled with so many spectacular players that have have so much, you know, in, in their tank. So how do you, like, I, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is how do you, you know, if, if you know, the Islanders are playing the Caps and, and Ovi just does something so spectacular, like how do you manage the difference between being a hockey fan and just wanting to, like, drop your jaw and be like, that was unbelievable. But still, because you're, you're, you're on the stick, you've got to be objective and you've got to like, kind of keep it all in tone. How do you do that? Like, how do you do that? Uh, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a broadcaster, right? Like I'm not a fan and, and, and I don't watch the game as a fan. I watch it as a broadcaster. And the way I broadcast is, is what I think pretty fair. I, I, I don't consider myself a Homer. And if Alexander Ovechkin does something awesome, I'm going to tell you how awesome it is and I'm going to get excited about it. And I don't care if it's an overtime winner that the Islanders lose the game. I, you know, that's my thought process. That's the way I call a hockey game. That's not the way everybody does it, but that's the way I do it. So I don't really have to fight any emotion when things like that happen. I just do my job. And so um, I know that's, that's, that's probably the least exciting answer for you, but that's, that's where it comes from for me is that I don't really struggle with that. I don't, I don't struggle with the Islanders being on the wrong end of great plays. I think every goal is exciting and I think they should sound that way. And it doesn't matter which team scores. I, I, I love that. I, I really do. I just, you know, thinking of it, of course it's so difficult because thinking of it from, you know, from a fan's perspective, of course, it's always like, you know, it's, it's red hot or it's ice cold, you know? So, but having again, that objectivity because you're a professional at it, it's just you know, cool to hear. So you mentioned that you, you know, call games as a broadcaster and you don't watch these games as a fan. Like, then what sport do you get to watch as a fan? Like, are you a huge, like, baseball fan, basketball fan, football fan? Like, because, you know, I personally think hockey's the greatest sport in the world. So, like, not being able to have that, like, fan experience since you're calling these games, like, where do you get your fix? So... It's a strange answer. So a couple of things here. So my dad, as I mentioned earlier, is a sports writer. So my dad wasn't a fan either. So as a kid, I didn't really have a favorite team, a favorite player. I didn't wear jerseys to school. I just enjoyed sports in general. 
And when my dad was home, we would watch whatever the most compelling game was that we could watch, whether it was a basketball game, a hockey game, whether it was the Devils, the Rangers, the Islanders, it didn't matter. We just watched whatever the most important or compelling game or we flipped between them. We weren't just watching every single, you know, Nets game. We were watching whatever made the most sense. And so I developed a love for sports that wasn't tied to a team or a sport. Um, that being said, like, I don't have to fight any, I didn't grow up a devil's fan. And, uh, you know, I secretly want the devils to win every time to play the honors. Like, I don't, I don't have that. There's no, Oh, if the devil's job comes open, that's where I'm going to go. Cause I always wanted to be the devil's guy. Like I don't have that. So I watch sports kind of differently than a lot of people do. And at the same time, I enjoy baseball. I enjoy football. I'm not a huge basketball guy. Um, I do lacrosse for NBC as well, which is fantastic. But at the same time, like I am consumed by hockey. My entire life is consumed by hockey. So a lot of times I just watch Netflix, man. Like I I just (laughs) like, I need to check out. I'd rather not watch sports. So um, I do enjoy sports, but sometimes I just, just don't want to do it because I mean, you think about it. I watch a hockey game every night when I'm calling a game. And then when I'm home, I'm getting ready for the next game and I'm watching the last game of whatever team the Islanders are about to play, or I'm going back and watching the game that I just called or whatever the case may be. I mean, I, I watch hundreds, hundreds of hockey games a season. So, um, sometimes when that's over with, I'm good to just, you know, chill out and watch a cooking competition or whatever the case may be. (laughs) Now you, you know, my final question for you is you, you mentioned and you hinted at, you know, that you are now, call in the professional lacrosse um have you always been interested in lacrosse are you kind of learning on the fly yeah i'm kind of learning on the fly um you know i was uh i was approached by nbc to to consider doing lacrosse about nine months or so before the league started and so that being the case i had enough time and watched enough lacrosse to kind of get a pretty good idea And, you know, somebody that was really instrumental in me, you know, getting ready to be a lacrosse broadcaster was Joe Beninati, who is the Washington Capitals television play-by-play broadcaster, um, because he actually played collegiate lacrosse and has done, you know, lacrosse on ESPN, MLS, and our major league lacrosse and, uh, and college lacrosse for years. And so he's a very knowledgeable lacrosse guy. Plus he speaks my language, right? He can translate hockey to lacrosse for me and, un- and make me understand it. So he was great. And he spent hours with me going over things. Uh, we watched games on the phone together, talking about college lacrosse games that we were both watching at the same time. Um, and so, you know, being a part of that broadcaster fraternity and having a, a, a fantastic human being like Joe Beninati in my corner um, kind of helped me get up to speed. And then once I got up to speed, I called 37 lacrosse games in one summer and now I'm a lacrosse guy. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> so I, I just want to drop this. Uh, Tom and I uh, were taught by probably one of the, I guess probably the faces of lacrosse with Rob Pinnell. His mom was our business teacher. <laughs> okay. Yep. So that's kind of my, my claim to lacrosse fame is like, yeah, you know, like the best lacrosse player. Yeah. His mom was my teacher. And she was like always so proud, like especially when he went to Cornell, like she was always like kind of, you know, bragging as a mom. And like, you know, especially when they won the national championship, like she was over the moon about that. 
Yeah, Rob Pinnell was was the big name missing from the Premier Lacrosse League in the first season, and then he was uh, he was the big free agent pickup uh, for for this past season. So he's a uh, a proud member of Atlas Lacrosse Club now, and uh, and and I'm excited. I didn't get a chance to call any PLL games this uh, this summer because they played at the same time um, as the Stanley Cup playoffs came back. So. I couldn't do both of them, so I'm looking forward to uh, when the, the schedule's reset and I can go back to doing both of those. Yeah, for sure. And having a name like that now in the league, that's huge. And I just remember, uh, you know, going back, the New York Saints were like the indoor lacrosse team, and they used to do summer camps. And it just so happened he's a few years younger than me, so I was in high school already, and he was in middle school. And his mom was like, all right, I want Rob to be with the high school kids, even though he was like way smaller, way younger. And I just remember, like, even then, how skilled he was in lacrosse. So it's cool to see all these years later how he's, he's like the face of lacrosse. Yeah, he's, he's a beast. He's, uh, he's, he's fun to watch. All right, man. Well, Brendan, this was really just so much fun to be able to pick your brain and talk some hockey, talk some music, and just everything in between. Uh, we really appreciate this, and it really is an honor for two Islander fans to talk to you know, the man behind the mic, the man that we watch probably more <laughs> during the hockey season than we get to talk with our significant others. Like, <laughs> that's how much hockey we were watching. And we just really uh, appreciate this, Brendan. No, that's great, guys. No, I, I appreciate you having me on. And, um, you know, like I said, when when I first got the job, I never wanted to be the story. I just want to be the guy that lets you guys keep enjoying Islanders games. And uh, it sounds like I've done that. So uh, mission accomplished for me. And I hope you guys uh, enjoy it for a while. Amen. Thanks, Brendan. You got it.
And we're back. And how about that, Mikey Ryan? That was one for the books. And not only was it one for the books, but like we can now conclusively confirm that not only does Brendan Burke like something corporate, but like he name dropped the spill canvas. So there was a time in Brendan Burke's life where he was listening to the tide and like was all about it. And I loved every second of hearing that. Like <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'm never going to deny how big of a spill canvas fan I am and still am. And I instantly hit up Bryce and was like, dude, Brendan Burke just name dropped the spill canvas on Bar Down Breakdown. And he was like, get the hell out of here. Like, that's awesome. Like he was so pumped because Bryce is a big hockey fan. And you know, Brendan Burke is becoming not just a name within the Islanders franchise, but he is a national name at this point. Yeah. And, you know, the games that he has called nationally, you know, he does such a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. And then, like, when you hear about Doc Emmerich retiring, like, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, man, Brendan Burke would, like, fit in those shoes perfectly. And, you know, it's, it's funny because as a Met fan, Look, you can look at the lineage of of Kevin Burkhart, right? You know, he started as like, um, yeah, like the Mets guy, like in the stands, right? Yeah, like in the stands. You know, he wasn't even he wasn't even a play by play guy. He was just, you know, Gary would cut to him for you know stuff in the stands, and now all of a sudden, he's uh, you know he's calling you know NFL on Fox. You know, I mean, it just shows that if you're good at what you do, you can just skyrocket through the ranks. Now. Brendan Burke could very well be, you know, the next, you know, Doc Emmerich in the next couple of years. I, uh, I don't know about Doc Emmerich if he like, you know, if he likes to spill canvas, he, you know, <laughs> if we can get him on, imagine if he likes to spill canvas too, Bryce would just be like the happiest guy on the planet. Oh man. That, that, um, I would love yeah. to just actually have like a sit down with him and play the spill canvas and just like film his reaction. You know, like how they do that, those like reaction videos on YouTube. We should just start doing that, like playing our music to people who do not like this genre of music. I mean, like specifically so, to Doc, to Doc Emmerich. Can you yeah, imagine Doc that Emmerich? Would, that would like, be episode one. He'd be like, he'd be like, the spell canvas, a scars. <laughs> John Tavares. Bryce. Nick Thomas. See, uh, that's just where I'm going. But anyways, um, but you know, and and it probably we should say, uh, you know, we are huge Islander fans, and you know, part of this is us being Islanders homers. But you know, you you hear in the conversation, we we don't just talk about his contribution to the Islanders. A lot of it is understanding his craft and how he prepares for broadcasts and how he really honed his craft over time. And I think that's such a cool thing that, you know, we should definitely mention is how linguistics in general lends itself to being able to call a game fluently and being able to paint the picture for someone, especially on, on radio as well. Uh, when you don't have a, have a visual right in front of you, you know, to paint that clear picture of, what's happening on the ice and to be able to do that is really super difficult. And I know, you know, you've done broadcasts, obviously not doing like play by play or anything like that, but you've done broadcasts, um, 
where you've watched a whole game and imagine, you know, like sitting through an entire game with a microphone in front of you and having to actively not only talk about it, but actively paint a picture of what's going on. I mean, imagine how difficult that is. Oh, it's extremely difficult. Doing those hot mics during the playoffs were were tough, man. And, you know, I, I, I was trying to have conversations with the people that watch the games with me. Yeah. And it's so easy to get distracted. And to be able to do that, like, at a, at, at a pace that's like, you know, one of, I, I would say the fastest sport there is. Yeah. And, and to be able to do it. And then all, like he was saying, he got so comfortable that he was actually like able to kind of like daydream about what he wanted to say, like yeah. upcoming. And I couldn't imagine how difficult that must be, especially since how, how fast the game moves. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> let's be honest, man. Hockey players names aren't the easiest to pronounce. <laughs> They're definitely not. You're right. <laughs> so like, <laughs> To also do that so, like, effortlessly, like, I can't even say that word. And, like, he's he's, <laughs> he's dropping all these, like, Russian and, and European names and does it so beautifully. It's just, it's, it's amazing to see. And Islander fans are lucky. We really are to, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when, you know, the whole thing with Billy Jaffe and, uh, Howie Rose and how they were kind of getting them out and bringing new people in. It was always like, who's, who's going to be the guy that calls our games? Like, is this guy going to appreciate like some of the, the hurt that our fan base has been through? Like, is he going to understand this? And like, Brendan Burke wasn't necessarily a household name for Mm us. You know, when he, when we first got him, all we kind of knew was like, he's this young guy from the AHL and you know, he he's the next thing and then like within the first game we realized like the gem that we got yeah we absolutely we 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 struck gold with with getting him and man it's crazy to think that he had to grind it out in the ahl as long as he did because he's he's a pro and i i think that's why the the national broadcast is is picking up on how how skilled he is and you're gonna see him doing way more national games and i just hope that doesn't mean that we lose him yeah uh, to that mm-hmm. but he, he's he's one of the best in the business man and i'm not just saying that because i'm a homer <laughs> no i agree with you and i think as i as i'm as i'm about to lead us out i think we had a big time missed opportunity now that we're talking about this as we probably should have like asked Brendan what the most difficult name he'd ever had to pronounce was and like how much difficulty and, and like timing went into that. Um, and that leads me to a fun little thing that I think we should do. So um, let's just say when this episode drops, right. Um, for our lovely and faithful listeners, uh, because you already know from listening to this episode that Mikey is really bad at pronunciation and I oh trip God. over my words like almost every single sentence I say. Dude, I'm so, starting to sweat. I don't even know where you're going, but I'm sweating thinking about I would, what you're I about to say. It would be really funny for our listeners to just throw down at us some of the most difficult like Russian and Finnish and Czech hockey player names that they could think of. And we'll just try to pronounce them on air. 
Oh my god! Like we'll spend we'll spend a whole like a whole intro just 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 trying to pronounce these ridiculous names, and it'll be great and it'll be hilarious. And I think that's what we need to do. I think that's what the world needs today. I think the world right now doesn't need love, sweet love. The world right now needs Russian last names and us pronouncing them. All right, man. It's gonna be bad. I'm, I'm uh, already uh, saying that, and I guess I can't uh, even like. My go-to when I like mispronounce stuff and mi- like totally screw up figurative language is like, oh well, what do you expect? Gail Ryan raised me. Like, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you really expect? But I can't even really use that as an excuse now. It's no. just all on me then, and that makes no. me nervous. So you know, come come at us in the comments. Reach out to us on Twitter. Send us some DMs. Reach out to us on Instagram. Send us some DMs or just. Comment on on our posts that we drop uh, when we drop this episode on 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 uh, on Tuesday, and give us some names. Just give us some ridiculous names. I would love to try to pronounce these names. This is this is where you guys truly get to make us look like complete idiots. Yeah. This is this is your time to shine, like everybody. They really so. need a, a, an excuse to do that. We we do it <laughs> ourselves, but whatever. I mean, we're gonna need I'll it. Be a good sport. We're gonna need it also because. We have a, you know, our next episode is going to be our very somber episode number 91. And instead of it devolving into 20 minutes of us complaining and whining about John Tavares, we should probably just try to pronounce Russian names instead. So it's probably a good thing. Dude, we can start thinking about who we want to be our 100th guest. I mean, I'm I'm gunning for Wayne Gretzky. Like, that's who I'm going for. (laughs) And uh, it make more sense for him to be episode 99. I mean, I think it would make more sense for him to do that, but he probably wouldn't. Knowing Wayne Gretzky, he'd be like, oh, I could be in episode number 99, but, you know, I want to be in episode number 100. But I think that we, we're going to do some cool stuff for episode 100, and I think you're going to be really excited for what we do. I mean, who knows, man? Maybe, like, episode 100, we could just get some, like, you know, get some old guests on and just talk to them about, you know, how much they just love bar down breakdown and why they haven't bought a water bottle from us. You know, that's, that's <laughs> it. Um, just so you guys know, we still do have a couple water bottles left. So, I mean, I drink out of mine every day. It's awesome. It keeps my water super cold. So go grab one. If you can, we got five left and after those five are gone, they're gone forever. And I'm sure, you know, once we put spit and chiclets out of business, those water bottles are going to be on eBay for like hundreds of dollars. So don't miss out. But uh, we've got some other awesome stuff coming your way soon in the next couple of weeks. Some stuff that you might be able to throw over your body and shoulders and rep the brand and tell your friends about how cool the brand is. But you'll see when it comes out. Um, But we really appreciate you guys sticking with us and giving us the opportunity to do this. Totally awesome to chat with Brendan Burke. We appreciate the time he took, um, you know, to give us some insight about what he does and you know, how much uh, we enjoy what he does. So keep listening, keep chugging along. You know the drill. Anything you want to add, Mikey, before we uh, we go off into outer space? No, I'm just, uh, I'm going to give myself some kudos. I've remembered to do former Friday. I think it's like four weeks in a row, and I really did not think I was going to keep up with that. But I, I do love it, and yeah, it makes me go into my release radar and really do some digging and yeah uh, just so much great music from our former guests like I, i'm not just saying that we've been extremely fortunate and um you know i just want all of those bands that we've had on to be your favorite band so 
Give them a listen. Give them some love. We don't need any love. Give them all the love you got. And uh, Tom, it's been real. Excellent. Peace be with you. And also with you.
What's up, everybody? This is Brendan. This is Taylor. And we are Straight Up Sabres, covering the Buffalo Sabres for the Hockey Podcast Network. That's right. You can hear us every Monday and Thursday on Hockey Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Straight Sabres or follow us on Facebook at Straight Up Sabres. We are very excited to bring you all of the latest coverage of what is surprisingly seeming to be a pretty exciting Sabres season ahead. That's right. The Rasmus Ristolainen breakout season is here. You can only hear it every Monday and Thursday, a hockey podcast network and Buffalo Fanatics, wherever you get your podcasts.